Acts chapter 2, 22 through 24. You can remain seated. Listen to what this says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. As we open up this passage of Scripture, as we see Simon Peter filled with the Holy Ghost, filled to speak, to preach, as he lays out this indictment, Lord, as he lays out this, these charges against them, Lord, he does it with boldness, without fear. Lord, help us to be this bold when it comes to sharing who you are. We love you, Lord, and we ask and we pray that you bless the reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, this is where we will start. We ended last Sunday morning with the prophecy of Joel that Peter preached from. Everybody remember that? The prophecy of Joel that Peter preached from? Peter identified to the crowd... That what they were seeing and hearing was Joel's prophecy. Peter told them that this, what you see is coming to pass right now. Or a portion of it anyways. A portion of it. Peter testifies that the last days were upon them. And he's doing this by using the Old Testament. He is doing this by using the prophet Joel's prophecy. And he's not just going to use Joel's prophecy, but he's also going to use David's as well. He's going to use David's words as he goes through this sermon. Now, as a minister, when I look at this sermon that Simon Peter stood up and preached, I know that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but let me tell you something. It is perfect. It's perfect. He lays out Old Testament prophecy. He shows them the truth of God's Word. He shows them who Christ is. He shows them that they were guilty. How they were guilty. Why they were guilty. What they did. What they didn't do. But He also shares with them hope. As a minister, this is absolute perfection. This sermon that he preaches. Remember the scene, there were thousands gathered. It was the Feast of Pentecost, there were thousands gathered. And remember that, that he is speaking in his own language and they are hearing him speak in their own. Everybody follow. Somebody's going to have to pick up the slack for Willie Mae. She ain't here. Robert, you're going to have to start that. 
Willie my amen's everything. You're going to have to pick that up. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing an echo, and, I, and, I, and that's, that's not cool, man. It's got, to, it's got to come right here from the front pew. Simon Peter here stands with the eleven. And he stands and he boldly proclaims the prophecy of Joel. He is preaching God's word to Jews that came from all over the world to Pentecost for this particular celebration. And right here, as Peter is preaching, God is working. That's where you say amen, Robert. Amen. We'll learn. We'll, I'll get you there. I'll get you there. Verses 22 through 24, we will see the apostle build a case against the people. He's going to build a case against them, and he's going to give them three points against them. He's going to show and prove to them by using three points, proving to them that they are guilty of slaughtering the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The first one we're going to see is we're going to see the works of Christ Jesus. The second one that you're going to see is you're going to see the death of Christ Jesus. And then the third thing that you're going to see is the resurrection of Christ Jesus. All in these three verses, 22, 23, and 24. The works, the death, and the resurrection. And I'll let you know when we get to each of these points, but we have to get a, go through a little bit first before we get there. Verse 22, listen to what it says. Men of Israel, hear these words. What's he saying? Listen to the preacher, right? That's what he's saying. Listen to the preacher. One of the words that preachers use the most is listen. Because that's their job, is to share and to proclaim the truth of God's Word. And they need that audience to then listen. To listen. So he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Listen to the preacher. Incline your, ear, incline your ears. Hear the herald. Listen. Listen to what? Let's look at what it says. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. And he starts out his herald with this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Jesus. The first words that he says is Jesus. After he goes through the prophecy of Joel, now he is going to back that up with the person of Christ. And the first name that he speaks is the name of Jesus. And it means what? Yahweh saves. The apostle leads out with the mighty name of Jesus. If you want to know why I preach about Jesus, it's because the whole Bible is about Jesus. There you go, Robert. You got it. You got it. Matthew in chapter 1 and 21 tells us this is about, uh, this is to, I think this was to Joseph. She will bear a son and you shall, yeah, this was Joseph. She, shall, she will bear a son and you shall call his name, what? Jesus. 
Jesus. For he, for he will save his people from their sins. So in Matthew chapter 1 and 21, we see Yahweh saves. For he will save his people, not just the Israelites, but his people, all those that are called unto salvation. He will save his people from their sins. And then we see it from the other side given to Mary in Luke chapter 1, 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. You notice he says, reign over the house of Jacob forever. Those that are the called. Here in verse 22, Peter is addressing the house of Israel. He is addressing the Jewish nation. He is addressing those that, that are out there for, that are listening to him. Those that had ears to hear with. He is addressing them. And he is pointing them to the direction and in the direction of Jesus. This name is wonderful. We know that. It meaning Yahweh saves. The people would have known this too, guys. They would have known it. From the time he opens up his mouth, that is Simon Peter, to the time that he quits, they would have known exactly who he was talking about. You got to remember that Jesus, in the three and a half years or however long that was, that period of time was, in that amount of time, he healed more and accomplished more. John tells us than all that could, that could ever be written down in all the books couldn't contain the works of Christ. This man, Jesus, was a common household name. Do we understand that? They knew who he was. This was not the first time they were hearing about Jesus. It would have been used in every house in all the regions around it. When you start doing miracle workers, start doing miracles, and people are going to know who you are. There wouldn't be a hospital left on the planet. Wouldn't be any. If Jesus was walking around today. This is how powerful. So when he says Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus. He's talking about a name that holds a lot of weight. They know who he is. And then he calls him of Nazareth. He's, he calls him the Nazarene. Peter now gives further clarification. Just in case they didn't know, he gives further clarification of who he was. He was from Nazareth. The little know-nothing place in Galilee, right? What did Nathaniel say? <laughs> what did Nathaniel say about 
Nazareth when, uh, when Andrew, I think it was Andrew or Philip, it was Philip, when Philip asked him, or Philip told him, said, said, come, go with me, we have found the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And what's Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This was a know-nothing place. And what do we see by that when we see Jesus of Nazareth? We see Christ and we see him as a meek and menial person. Someone of humble beginning, someone of lowly in stature. But very much God. Jesus of Nazareth. Then in verse 22 it says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. And I love the way Simon Peter preaches this. And the reason why is because a lot of times in the Gospels when you see someone uh, brought into the Scriptures, say Nicodemus, Zacchaeus, whoever, you see them brought in first and they are described uh, as a man first. Then they are described as their credentials, and then the name is given. But in this case, it is just the opposite. The name Jesus is given first, and then his home, and then, listen to what it says. Then it calls him a man. He is real flesh and blood. Flesh and bone, just like them. Born under the law, just like them. He was real. Just like them. So Peter is making the case and he is leading up to the charges that he's fixing to lay against them. He's established his main topic. He's established his sermon. And now he's going to give three points to prove to them, to prove to the people that Jesus is the Savior and that they are guilty for murdering, for butchering the Messiah. You talk about packing the pews. (laughs) tell people that they're guilty of killing the Messiah. That'll get them here. Then you tell them if you want to follow Him, you must take up your cross and follow Him. Die to yourself. That'll really get them here. Verse 22, it says, A man... Listen to what it says. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. The first point is that we see here very clearly. This is, this is like outlining Sermon 101. I mean, it, it, it is so clear. The first point is the works of Christ. The works of Christ. The works of Jesus. The wonderful works of of Jesus. And they're worked through the power of God in their midst as they know. This was not a secret. His works that he did or done were not done in secret. They knew these things. They were witnesses of these things. John chapter 11 and verse 47, after Jesus raises Lazarus, listen to what happens. From the dead religious leaders, they come together and this is what they said. 
The chief priest and the Pharisees, they take a counsel and said, What do we? For this man does many miracles. See, they could not disprove the miracles that he was doing. They had to confess that he was real, but they denied him as being the Savior. They couldn't admit it. Mighty works. When we look at mighty works, wonders, and signs, one of the things that we see is not just healings, but the multiplying of fish and bread. Where he fed 5,000 over that at one time with just a few loaves and a few fish, right? That's a sign. That's a wonder. That's a miracle. That's a mighty work. He healed the lepers. This was not done in secret. He caught a lot of flack over that one. He healed countless people on the Sabbath days, which the Pharisees did not like. And it was always done to where people could see those things. He healed them, the man with the withered hand, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman that was bent over and couldn't, couldn't stand up straight because a spirit had bound her. He healed the demon-possessed men, the demon-possessed women, the demon-possessed children. When Satan in his ranks was at an all-time high, Jesus Christ came on the scene and began to cast these demons out of people. People were frightened by this because it was not done in secret. It, it It was seen by everybody. Peter stands and he is... He is declaring this. Christ Jesus turned water into wine. Took something that was dead and made it alive. Defeating the laws, the very laws of nature. He turned over the money changers in the temple, did he not? He made a scourge and he whipped them. And he he scourged them out of there. And nobody stopped him. Not even the temple guards. The temple police, they didn't even stop him. This was done in front of thousands of people. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Let's go back to his own town. Nazareth. I love this passage of Scripture because it tells us truly how um, hard-headed people can be when it's right in front of them. Remember he rode into the temple on a donkey that had never been ridden. People shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Remember that? Where thousands gathered and he didn't call them. They just gathered and started throwing palm branches in front of him as he entered into the temple. Luke chapter 4, listen to what it says in verse 16. Jesus is in the synagogue of his own, own hometown. And they were so mad at him by what he had just said that I'm fixing to read to you that they pushed him all the way to the brink of a hill and they were going to kill him. 
Because that's how livid they were that he stood up and said this. Jesus here has what they call today a mic drop. Boom. You older folks may not know what a mic drop is, but my youngins know what a mic drop is. Sailors back there doing it. Mic drop. It means what's been said has been said. Boom. Deal with it. This is what Jesus does. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is where he had been raised. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. And it says, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. This is what he says. Listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is coming from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus is speaking himself. Reading this, to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Do we know, do we understand that, that even in the Old Testament, that Isaiah was prophesying about this? That they trusted in the Messiah that was to come? That this Messiah that was to come, that in fact did come, that we now look back on and have ample evidence to see, is able to save is able to bind up the brokenhearted, is able to receive or to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This is what Jesus is able to do for us. Listen to the text. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Boom. He reads it. Now watch what happens. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. He had them. He captivated them by his words, by his voice. They were captivated. And what happened? He might drop some right here. He says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? He's saying the Messiah that is to come, that Isaiah spoke about, I'm he. The people in their own hometown, his own hometown, were so mad that they took him out and they pushed him headlong all the way up to the top of the hill and was going to push him over. And then he just turns around. Pops his collar, walks right back through the middle of him. Nobody touched him because it wasn't his time. This Jesus, this man was attested to them by God. With these signs, with these mighty works, with these wonders. Attest. What does it mean to attest? To affirm. To be true or genuine. This is what it means to affirm to be true or genuine. To authenticate by signing as a witness. 
Verse 22 says, a man attested to you by God. What's taking place in the text? God the Father put His seal, His stamp of approval on the Son. Put His stamp of approval, His signature to the person of Jesus Christ. And He did this. How did He do this? According to verse 22, through these, through these mighty works and through these signs and through these wonders. So the very first point that we see in Peter's sermon here in this part of this text is Peter comes out and he tells them, he says, listen to me. This man Jesus was attested by God the Father through mighty works, through signs, through wonders. And you have rejected him. Rejected Him. How many miracles, how many signs, and how many wonders do we have to see performed that the Lord does every day in our lives? Just look around. You think it just so happens that trees grow by themselves? Just take creation, for example. That the bird finds its nesting place in the corner of a house on the outside and raises the young there and that that the Lord provides for them daily. Or the deer that's out on top of a hill somewhere that nobody else sees, but the Lord is still sustaining That creature of His? You think about the miracles and you think about the signs, you think about the wonders. The things that's been recorded for us in history to look back on and to see, in fact, yes, this man did come. Jesus was real. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not just talking about the Bible as proof. I'm talking about secular history as proof. There is secular history. One in particular by the name of Flavius Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, born around the time that Christ died, and he speaks of Christ. Because that was recent history. He was alive when the apostles were alive. And he speaks of this man named Jesus in his chronicles that he wrote for the Jews. Their history. Verse 23, listen to what it says. And go back, just just, let's finish point one. Peter told them he'd done these things in your midst and you know it. That's the end of verse 22. He's done these things in your midst and you know it. As you yourselves know. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. 
definite plan, and foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge, the word foreknowledge there, if you want to underline this and write out next to it, it the word is actually foreordination. Foreordination. It's that foreplanning of, of God the Father. Like I said, none of this stuff just happened. There was a plan and there was a purpose behind it. And I thank the Lord and I praise God today that He had a plan for wicked sinners. That He had foreordained His Son to be on the cross. You say, that's terrible. It hurts my ears to hear. It might, but it's the truth. I just read it to you. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God the Father had foreordained for this to happen. To give up His only begotten Son. Why? Because he had to. He had to. In order that God and man be back reconciled together. He foreordained foreordained it to pass. To happen. Because God and man were separate. Because sin entered the world. Remember that? We don't need to go over Genesis 3, do we? No. (laughs) No, we don't. Sin in the world. Good news is the Lord already had a plan for that. He already had a plan. Set in motion already. Why? To bring back God and man together. How? How? Via the cross. By whom? His Son. Jesus. And so who do we have as our only mediator between God and man? Jesus. The man. So that by the death of His Son, sin would be done away with, thereby reversing the curse of the fall, For all who trust in that sacrifice that hung on that awful tree. The Godhead in infinite wisdom foreordained or predetermined this purpose to come to pass in time. And we know that it did. We know that it did. It in fact did come to pass. And some people don't like the term foreordained or foreknowledge or predetermined. But it doesn't matter if you like it or not because it's in Scripture. And so we have to be able to understand it. I praise God it's there. Because if I had tried to predetermine something, I would have messed it up. I'm thankful that He's the great orchestrator. We know that this came to pass in time. We know what happened around 2,000 years ago. Plenty of historical evidence to prove that. With this, however, Jesus 
in the form of man must be willing. Remember, he endured some of the same temptations just as you and me. So not only did the father predetermine it, but the son had to be willing to go through with it. And so all the way through the annals of time, you see for 2,000 years, this leading up to the Messiah, or 4,000, however many years it was, y'all know what I'm talking about, leading up to the Messiah coming. You see this. He knows that he is going to have to go to the cross and reconcile God and man one day. He knows he's going to have to do this. So he has to be willing to do it. And we know that in fact he was. He laid down his own life out of obedience to this predetermined, foreordained purpose to reconcile God and man. So we see the work of the Father and we see the work of the Son. And Peter is preaching here under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he said, God determined it. The Son came and put it into action. However, something else happened. Before we get there, let me just say this. People have told me before, I don't like how you uh, talk about Catholicism. That's okay. Catholicism is very wicked. Very wicked. Let me explain to you why it is so bad. For just a moment. It makes me livid when I hear it preached or taught that the Pope, who is not eternal is the image or the vicar of Christ on earth. It makes me livid to hear it. And the reason why it makes me livid is because I know what happened in the predetermined, foreordained, foreknowledge of God the Father. I know what happened that He put His seal of approval on His Son and His Son alone. I know what happened that Jesus came, willingly obeyed his father, laid down his whole life, and nobody else and nothing else could do it. Only Jesus. And it makes me live it to hear that there are other ways. Because there's not. My surety, my confidence, my hope lies in no other man than Jesus Christ. No other. It was foreordained and it was accomplished by Christ at the cross. We're not to pray through any other. We're not to have hope in any other. He is the only one that was righteous, the only one that was just, the only one that was pure and holy. No one else. Only my Jesus. He was perfect. This is why it upsets me to hear that there are other ways to glory. 
Because those other ways were not in the foreordained, predetermined counsel and the infinite wisdom of God the Father. So we have to add it all up, don't we? We can't just pick and choose what we want in Scripture. No, we have to take it all into account. In this definite plan and foreknowledge of God, do we see anyone else able to fit the righteous requirements and profile of the law other than Jesus Christ? No. None. None. He is the only way. No one else could do it. And then in verse 23, here comes our second point that Simon Peter lays out. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The second point to the preacher's sermon is that this foreordained, this was foreordained to happen. But, he says, you are nonetheless guilty. He said, yes, it had to happen. But yes, you laid hands to him and you are guilty. How do we reconcile the two? Simple. God's Word says it. And so we trust thereby. Peter tells them, He was proved to you by God to be the Messiah, the King, and you nailed Him to a cross. You nailed Him to a cross. Peter lays down the hammer here in the text. He drops it on. What do you mean, Pastor? What are you saying? Here it comes. He is telling them they are guilty of murder. You say, but wait a second. You just told me that Jesus had to be willing and obedient. You just told me that the Father foreordained this to happen. I did tell you those things. And I'm also telling you that these men, in their wickedness, laid hands on a righteous, the righteous King of glory. And they slaughtered Him. They were guilty. Guilty of the death of Jesus of Nazareth. It does not excuse, it does not excuse these wicked deeds just because it was foreordained to happen and just because Christ came willingly and laid down His life. That does not excuse these wicked deeds. They still had to be paid for. Had to be. They were guilty of slaughtering the lamb. And how do we apply it? Listen to me. I'm almost done. How do we apply that to to us today? Simple. We were there. We are guilty of spilling Jesus' blood. Not a pin drop. You could hear you could hear a mouse run across the floor when I just said that. When I say you and I are guilty of spilling Jesus' innocent 
blood, we are guilty. This is what man does not want to hear. Because then he knows that he has to have something else outside of himself to pardon him because he can't do it because he's guilty. Remember, it was for my sin that he died. My sin pressed him down. Your sin pressed him down. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Gethsemane meaning olive press? Where the true olive was truly pressed? And it tells us that great drops of blood came out of His forehead. This is the weight of your sin. The weight of my sin on my Savior. Squeezed Him down at the olive press, Gethsemane. You say you weren't there? Oh, you were there. I was there. My sin and your sin ripped his flesh open upon his back. My sin and your sin nailed him to the cross. Can you imagine the pain of having nails driven through your hands and through your feet? And it was because of our sin that that happened. This is why reconciliation needed to take place. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross. I was there. You were there. You were participants and I was participants. I was a participant. Guilty participants. We cannot wash our hands like Pilate and say, I had nothing to do with this. We cannot pretend that we didn't have a part in his death. Of killing the innocent Lamb of God. The cross, the lashings, the pressure, the agony, the passion of our Christ was something done by us. That should lead us to repentance. If you don't catch anything else, catch this. It is impossible to take part in the benefits and salvation that was worked on the cross in Christ. It is impossible to take part in those benefits until we can admit and confess that we had a hand in putting Him there in the first place. Were you there? You better believe it. And this is Peter's second point. As he speaks, I can imagine the knife going through their heart. 
You mean to tell me the one that we've been waiting for, we nailed to the cross? The Messiah, the one to save us, we slaughtered? Peter says, yep, that was him. That was him. Let's move on. And Like I said, I'm almost done. Verse 24. Here comes our third point. Remember the works of Christ, the death of Christ, and then the resurrection of Christ. Praise God that the Lord raised Him. Praise God that life came back into those bones to justify us and to complete the work of redemption. Listen to what it says. Verse 24, God raised Him up, loosing the pains or the pains or the pains of death because it was not possible for Him to be held by it. This is where the Apostle Peter then goes into the Psalms and quotes Psalms in chapter 16, which I read to you earlier. But the third point that Peter makes is the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. Because our Jesus was perfect. Because Jesus of Nazareth was perfect. Because He never sinned. Tempted in all ways, but yet was perfect. Sinless, blameless, perfect, spotless. Because He never sinned. He was the only one that could take on our sin. And because of that, the Father saw that He was a pleasing sacrifice. He was a pleasing sacrifice that He alone could take on our sin. God the Father, seeing that He was such a pleasing sacrifice and the only one that could do this, according to the foreknowledge and the foreordained purpose of God, loosed the pains of death and raised Him from the dead. Jesus had conquered the grave. Man put Him there. Man slaughtered Him. He was obedient to it and obedient to His Father. And to do this, to bring God and man back together, Jesus knew that He had to die as only the true sacrifice could. But God the Father raised Him back up. He beat death. He came back to life to finish the work of redemption on our behalf. And only God can do this. Not the Pope or anybody else. He died and He came back to life. Nobody else. He died and He came back to life. Nobody else. And He did this to finish the work of redemption on our behalf. We are justified by faith in the risen Lord. Peter tells them God attested, confirmed, and proved to you who He was. You slaughtered Him, but God raised Him back to life. Praise God today that we serve a living Savior. Death could not hold Him. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, 
Where is thy victory? Death could not hold him. Guys, this morning as I finish before, this is a good stopping place, before we go into David's prophecy concerning Christ. Before Simon Peter delivers this message about redemption, before he goes any further, let's stop right here. And I just want you to see the works of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. He alone is the Savior. He alone. Predetermined, foreordained, in God's infinite wisdom, this had to be the way. There is no other way. And Simon Peter is telling them this. So as I started with the word, listen... I pray this morning that you will have listened to what's been preached. Let's pray.